You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Appreciate you. All right, good to be in God's house this evening. Good to see each one of you out in the service, and, and uh, it's good to be the surprise visitor, amen? <laughs> and that's all right. I'd rather be the surprise visitor than the uninvited visitor, so that's a blessing, amen? It's good to be here. It's good to be back here at Elk Point, and uh, this is the first time that I've got to come by and be in the new building. The last time that I was by, um, you were still over in the storefront, and boy, this is wonderful, Amen. And uh, this platform is coming along quite well, and it's looking great, and it's just a great building and a great facility, and I'm so excited about the new opportunities that it's going to afford you as a church to reach out into this community with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, find your place tonight. I'm in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, I'll be in chapter number 30, and I want to take our text there, Deuteronomy chapter number 30. And uh, we'll read uh, several verses of Scripture in the context of this passage tonight, and then the message the Lord helping us from the Word of God this evening, Deuteronomy chapter number 30. Um, So this is my last stop. Um, We've been out west really almost two two solid months. We we left uh, Georgia around the 25th of May, and we're out until the 27th of June, or 26th of June. So about 40, 44 days, something like that. We were in eight churches through 13 states, and we saw several of you in that trip because you came up and were with us when I preached for Brother Ruckman up in Sioux Falls Revival Services back earlier in the month of June, and that was a great trip. We had a good time, and the Lord allowed us to, um, to, to uh, be in a host of different services and types of meetings, um, several weeks of meetings, all the way over to the Oregon border. We were in Idaho, but we were on the Oregon border. We worked our way back across uh, in those meetings. Well, we went home, and I preached a Sunday to Wednesday revival. We visited with some friends for two days, and then I preached on Sunday. So we were home, actually, in our house like five days, but we were actually back east about eight days, and then we just turned around and came back. And that's where we spent July, and uh, so we came back. We went back out to Idaho, and we started working our way back across, the only difference being that this trip took us up into the state of Wyoming and then up into North Dakota, and uh, this past week, we were with Brother Caleb Hewitt up in Dickinson at Pleasant Valley, preaching Wednesday to Sunday. And it's been an odd summer. I know nobody uh, can believe that, but it's been an odd summer. Of course, we didn't get to have the Midwest Baptist Bible Camp this past June, and uh, that's, uh, that's sad. We regret that we were unable to do that. We're hoping that the Lord will put things in order so that we can resume that next year. Uh, but it wasn't only that camp, but our entire camp ministry in the summer sort of imploded. Um, because of the COVID scares and all the things that are going on around that. But the Lord was gracious and opened up a host of meetings and enabled us to go um, out and preach across the West and the Midwest. And so I'm grateful for those opportunities. So pray for us. We'll head back home, start back home tomorrow, and I start revival on Sunday in Georgia. We'll be in Georgia a week. Then I've got three meetings in North Carolina. I guess four meetings in North Carolina. Come back to Georgia for a couple of weeks as well. So um, to be honest, if things can, somebody said to me today, how's your schedule been looking? I was communicating with another preacher, and I said, well, it's pretty full from now to December if we can keep it, amen. And that's about how you feel these days, but if the Lord will help us, we've got a pretty full schedule um, throughout the rest of this year. Um, it would not be too early to begin to pray about 2021 activities that potentially could be the fallout of what we've encountered Um, with the COVID stuff this year, all right? And here's an example. I'm scheduled um, to do two youth camps in the month of January in South America and Central America. I should be in Honduras for the second week in January for about 10 days, and then the end of the month, early into February, we'll be back in Panama, South America. And uh, I'm concerned that both of those camps are are, um, probably in danger of not taking place at this point in time. Panama expects their school systems to open back up, but without a summer break. Um, I was talking to one of the teachers before church tonight. So what they're going to do, their summer break is from Christmas to Valentine's, that summer. And so they're talking like they're just going to go back to school here in another couple of months, and they're just going to go straight through. They're not going to have a break. And so if there's no break, there's no kids to have camp for. 
obviously. We may still be able to go down and hold a series of meetings. We've been talking to some men about that. But I need you to pray about that. Ask the Lord to help us uh, in that regard as we make our preparations for 2021. I did take the liberty to put some prayer cards on the little table there at the exit door. And so if you would, please pick up one of our family's cards if you don't have one. And pray for us when you pray. Ask the Lord to help us as we travel and do the work that the Lord has called us to do. Deuteronomy chapter number 30. The children of Israel are uh, getting near the time that they will come out of the wilderness. They've been in the wilderness of Sinai. And they're about to come out of the wilderness and enter into the promised land. And so there's several chapters of instruction that Moses has given the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. And it's a lot easier sometimes when you're still, when you're still, um, when you're still, when you're still in a tent and you're still taking your manna that's scattered on the ground and, and when you go down to the rock and get your water, it's still a little easier maybe to learn the lessons that God wants you to learn than when you become blinded by the prosperity that the Lord's going to give you in that promised land. Now I want to use these thoughts tonight to bring a few um, a few points from this passage of Scripture. Let's pick up our reading, if you would, in verse number 11. I'm going to make a comment or two as we read the text, and then we'll settle in toward the end of the chapter for the thought this evening. Verse number 11, the Bible said, For this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. I think that's interesting, because in verse number 10, in essence, um, Moses said to the children of Israel, If you'll hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, if you'll keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, if thou will not turn, if thou will turn to the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And so they, he says to them in verse number 11, he said, This commandment is not hidden from thee. Not hidden from thee. Amen. Um, in South Georgia, South Georgia years ago, there were some small towns, and there may be some in South Dakota, I don't know. But there was, a, there was some small towns in South Dakota, excuse me, in South Georgia that were known as speed traps. And, and, uh, and, and when you cross the city limit sign, they didn't take and put up very much information about the speed limit sign. And so you'd be rocking along at 60 miles an hour on the two-lane highway coming in one of those little crossroads communities and all of a sudden you'd find that speed limit went from 60 to 20 and there'd be a there'd be a city city policeman sitting there to give you a nice uh, safe driver's award amen and uh and and it got so bad in georgia that the governor at the time who had no authority under state um, state stature to change the speed limit but the governor at the time went down about a mile or three-quarters of a mile before you come into the city limits of that little town and put up a billboard. And it said, warning, speed trap ahead. <laughs> they didn't like it very well, but somebody had to expose the fact that you couldn't tell when the speed limit changed, all right? What I'm saying is God said, you know what my commandment is. People know what God expects out of them. The problem is sometimes we're just not interested in doing what God expects us to do. So he says, it's not hidden from you. And then he said, it's not far off. Neither is it far off. The idea of being far off would mean it's not attainable by you. It's not something you can do. But God said his commandments are not grievous. They're, they're, they're keepable. You can keep the commandments of the Lord. Now look at verse 12. It's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up? Um, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? And he said, it's not just some heavenly something. It works on earth. Neither is it beyond the sea. That would speak about another group of people. It applies to somebody else. Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, who shall go over the sea for us and, who, and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? But look at verse 14. He said, but the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. Now he said, see, I've set before thee this day life and good, death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in, the way, in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whether thou goest to possess it. 
Now look at verse 17. He said, but if thine heart turn away. Let me give you a piece of advice from the scriptures. Don't ever follow your heart. The worst counsel the world has ever given anybody and the best counsel the devil's ever offered anybody as far as his concern is, is just follow your heart. Just do what your heart said. A thousand times no, don't follow your heart. And your, your heart, the Bible said, is deceitfully wicked. And you can't know it. Only God can know the heart. And God warns us that your heart will turn away. Now watch the remainder of verse 17. When your heart turns away, he said, so that thou wilt not hear. And that, that sounds like somebody you know. You ever tried to give somebody a warning or some advice or some counsel, but their heart's already set in that direction? And it doesn't matter what you say, they're not listening anymore, amen? And God says, you've got to be careful. Don't let your heart turn away to, to pursue the things of the world. We'll get there in a minute. He said, because when that happens, you'll stop listening. And then you'll be drawn away. He said, but shalt be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Now verse 19 is a decision, it's a choice that has to be made. And he reminds us that it impacts both this world and the world which is to come. It's heaven and earth. That it's a life and death situation. That it's a blessing or a cursing. There's really no in between. And he said not only that, but he said you better choose well and you better choose life because it'll not only affect you, but it will affect your seed after you. We don't live in a bubble. It affects us, and it affects our children. It affects our family. It affects our neighbors, and it can affect multiple generations if we don't choose well. So what are we supposed to choose? Look at verse 20. He said that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. I really would like to focus a little bit tonight. I kind of hit some thoughts as we pass through this passage. But I, I want us to spend some time tonight looking at verse number 20. And in verse number 20, we have three key thoughts that the Scriptures lays out before us. And I think that the best way for us to approach verse number 20 is to consider verse number 19. He offers us a choice, and he tells us what the consequences of that choice are. He said you can have a blessing or you can have a curse. And what I want to preach about tonight for just a few minutes is this. The, blessed, the, the keys to a blessed life. How is it that we can have a life that would be marked as a blessed life? Now, you've got to understand that in God's economy, the idea of a blessed life is a lot different than the idea that the world has of what constitutes a blessed life. There'll be a crowd running around, we call them sometimes theologically health, wealth, and prosperity, you know, that, that, that a blessed life is a life that doesn't have any sickness and the blessed life is a life that's loaded with wealth and prosperity and good health. But I, I got to tell you, that's not the biblical principle of a blessed life. You say, Brother Moore, what's a blessed life? A blessed life is simply summed up like this. It is marked by the presence of the Lord. In fact, in the conclusion of verse number 20, the writer Moses gives us three thoughts that describe a blessed life. He said it's a life, if I could add that phrase in, he said it is a life that comes from him. He is thy life. And when you draw your very existence and your sustenance from him, then you have a blessed life. When you've cut your tithe, 
eyes to the world and you're embracing Christ, that's a blessed life. He said, he is thy life and the length of thy days that thou mayest dwell in the land. God has a place for you. And he says it is a blessed life when you are marked by and, and, and known by the very presence of God himself. Amen. And so he lays out for us, and this is what we're going to step through tonight, but he lays out for us the three steps or the three keys, if you will, that will enable us to have this blessed life. The first one is there in the first phrase. He said that thou mayest love the Lord thy God. Amen. So number one, if you want a blessed life, you'll have to get your affections right. Amen. You've got to fall in love with the right things. Now, we often counsel teenagers and young people to be aware that they can fall in love with the wrong person. Amen. The love's real. The infatuation, the feelings, the emotion, all of that's real, but it doesn't make it right. And so they can fall in love with the wrong person. If that's true, and it is true, then you mark my words tonight, it is possible for you to fall in love with the wrong things. And they're not always bad things. In that same scenario, when you talk about a, 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 a marriage relationship, I've known people that fell in love with people that were good people. They didn't fall in love with somebody that was wicked and vile and living like a hellion, but they fell in love with a good person who just wasn't God's person. Amen. And I say to you that in the, in the life that you and I live today, uh, it is very possible for us to fall in love with the wrong things. Amen. We get our lives summed up and occupied by the wrong things instead of the right things. But if we want to bless life, the Scripture said, we're going to have to love the Lord thy God. Amen. Take your Bibles and flip over to the book of Colossians in chapter number 3 with me for just a moment. And we'll take a New Testament look to this Old Testament principle, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then the book of Colossians. I'm in chapter number 3. Now I want you to notice the first phrase. The Bible said, if ye then be risen with Christ. Now that tells me something. Is he writing these comments to an unsaved or a saved man? A saved man. That's exactly right. He said, you've been risen with Christ. And by the way, when you study the analogy of life and death as it pertains to the Christian, to the believer, it's an interesting analogy because he says to us that in a past life we were dead. That doesn't make sense to anybody, but we were dead in trespasses and we were dead in sin. And I'll say a little more, we were dead in our knowledge. We were dead in our comprehension. We were dead in our understanding. But then one day the Holy Ghost quickened us. He made us aware. He illuminated our mind. He let us know we were lost and that Christ would save us. And then we experienced a birth. And so we were born again. That's where that phrase comes from. We have been risen with Christ. But if you read a little bit further, it'll tell you that now we're dead. But we're dead in the flesh to the rudiments of the world, but our life is hid with Christ in God. I like that. Amen. And so he says to us, if you then be risen with Christ. Now notice his first expression. He said, seek those things which are above. Amen. Now I want you to notice that we could put the parentheses around the remainder of that verse because what Paul is doing for the church at Colossae is he is explaining why we need to pursue those things that are above. He said, because that's where Christ is sitteth on the right hand of God. Why are we interested in heavenly things? It's not walls of jasper or golden streets or those mansions that we were singing about, but it's because Christ is in heaven. Christ is the possessor of heaven, and we ought to set our affections on the things that are above, and I'm getting ahead. He said, seek those things which 
our above. That's an action word. It's a word of pursuit. It means to go look for them. Amen. I'll tell you what, if you don't take time to look for Christ, you'll not walk with Christ. If you don't take time to know Christ, you'll not walk with Christ. If you don't spend time with Christ, you'll not know Christ. He said, seek it, pursue it. There's something above. Don't look around you. Don't pursue the things of the world, but seek those things which are above. Now he said in verse number 2, there's another S word. He said, set, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So he draws a little clearer comparison. So he said, number one, we ought to seek after Christ. We ought to make it a habit of our life and the priority of our life and the pursuit of our life to know him. Amen. Isn't that what the apostle Paul said? He said, I've counted everything but dung that I might win Christ. Oh, that I would just know Christ. That's the most important pursuit. And he wasn't talking about his Savior because he already knew him as Savior, but he's talking about having a magnified and manifested relationship that's real, friend. It's real. It's not just mocked-up religion, but it's real. You can have a real relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, number one, you got to pursue it. And then number two, he said, set your affections. Amen. That's purpose. That word sets a term of purpose. It means to intentionally do it. Amen. And it means a mind that's been made up. Take a pole, dig a hole, fill it full of concrete and let it set. Amen. It's unmovable. It's not going anywhere. He said some of you have got your thoughts set on the things of the world and the pursuits of the world. And, and by the way, God doesn't mean us not to enjoy life. Amen. He gave us a world to enjoy. I'm persuaded of that. But I'm saying to you, when that becomes the priority of your life, then you got problems. Amen. He said, ignore the things of the earth and allow those things which are above where Christ sits on the throne to be the purpose of your life. And he said, that will mark your affection. You've got to have the right affection if you're going to have a blessed life. He said, now there's that verse I quoted, you're dead. <laughs> Amen. We thought we was alive, but now we're dead. The flesh is dead. We've crucified the flesh, and our life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, isn't that what we just studied out of Deuteronomy 30 and verse 20? He said, He is thy life. He said, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you, be all, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So I show you in verse 1 that there is, a, there is a pursuit, seek those things. In verse 2, there's a purpose, set your affection on those heavenly things. But then in verse 5, there's a process. He said, if you're going to do that, he said, you'll have to mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Amen. He says to us, he said, listen, he said, you're going to have to mortify. That's the same word we get the idea of a mortician. It means death. You've got to crucify it. You've got to put it to death. Amen. And he says the way we do that, spiritually speaking, is to deny it. It's got to be denied. Amen. We've got to deny our flesh the things that gratify and satisfy in the world. And in turn, listen to me, God's people are never called upon to deny themselves for no purpose. Amen. Never, 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 he says in verse number 8, he said, put off these things. But in verse number 9, he said, put off these things. But in verse number 10, he said, put on. In verse number 12, put on. In verse number 14, put on. By the way, I draw a conclusion. I'm a simple mathematician. Two times he said put it off, three times he said to put it on. If you'll deny your flesh and pursue after the things of God, it'll be much better than it was when you were walking to gratify and to satisfy your own flesh. Amen. And so I'm saying a blessed life is not found 
in the wealth of the world and the prosperity of the world and the popularity and the prestige and the power of the world. Those things may be all right, but those things will never bring you a blessed life. But if you pursue heavenly things, if you have your affections right, if you look to heavenly things, that's the step, that's the key that brings you a blessed life. Amen. So let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 again and see the next point. Not only does he say we have to love the Lord thy God, but the next phrase is this. He said, obey his voice. Now, you've got a southerner, and, and, and I know Brother Haley and Sister Haley, they're from North Carolina. I get that, and they are southern, but they've been out in the Midwest for years. And, uh, and some of us visit out here, and they live out here, so it's about rubbed off. They don't talk much like southerners anymore. But we got a drawl, and we know how. Well, I'm going to give you an English lesson. And that's a strange thing coming from a southern boy. We just don't generally give English lessons. Amen. But I suspect that some of you here in South Dakota, Iowa, you'd understand this. When we were children, and they were trying to, talk, they were trying to teach us to talk properly, all right? Most of us don't talk properly, amen? My poor boy back there in, in school, my poor son, my oldest boy, he, he, uh, he really struggles sometimes. He's, he's pretty smart. We don't tell him that often, but he's pretty smart. But he, he struggles sometimes because when he gets to do, when he goes to do his assignments, his writing assignments, he wants to write it like he says it. But he's from Georgia. <laughs> and that'll fail every time. I'm telling you, it'll fail every time, all right? You got to write one way and talk another. We understand that. But when we were in school and you said to the teacher, can I go get a drink of water? Or can I go to the restroom? A good teacher always had a prompt response, and they said, I don't know, can you? And some of y'all remember that, amen? What was they wanting you to say? They was wanting you to say, may I, amen? Because the word can is the word for ability. You have the ability to do something. But the word may is the word for a permission. You have permission to do something. Notice the words that are used here in this verse of Scripture. He didn't say thou can love the Lord thy God and thou can obey his voice, but he said thou may. You can. Oh, yeah? No, you may. Thou mayest love the Lord. You have permission. Thou mayest obey his voice. It is a, it's a possibility for you. You may not have the ability, but you've got permission to do it. He said, number one, if we're going to have a blessed life, it starts, he said, by having the right affection, we've got to love the Lord our God. But he said, number two, if we're going to have a blessed life, follow this. He said, you're going to have to obey his voice. Now, loving is this picture of our affection, but obeying is a picture of our action. And you can't say you love God and do differently. Amen. Our words and our actions have to line up if we're going to have a blessed life. Otherwise, I'll tell you what we're always doing. We're going to have a hypocritical life, and it will be a life of conflict. Amen. And so there's the matter of obedience. Now, for our New Testament illustration, let's go to John chapter number 14. I love John chapter number 14. That's the second coming chapter. I like it. Amen encourages my heart. And so when you read down John chapter number 14, he tells us about his departure and, 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 and while he's gone, he said we're going to be able in verse 12 to do greater works than he did because he goes to the Father. And, uh, and then he gives us a promise in verse number 14, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then there's this verse, verse number 15, and it just sticks out almost like it's out of place. But look at it, verse number 15, John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, oh no, there's our affection again. If you love me, keep my commandments. Wow. You mean to say he just said exactly what Moses told the children of Israel when they were getting ready to cross over into the promised land? Exactly. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, it seems to me that verse almost just sticks there by itself. But if you read it in its context, the Lord understood their dilemma. Here's the situation. These disciples do love the Lord. 
Remember when Peter was there after he denied the Lord and the Lord had resurrected and there's fish on the fire and the Lord looked at him and said, Peter, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Three times and by the third time he asked him the question, Peter was offended. He was deeply wounded as though he looked at the Lord and he knew, he knew his denial and he knew that he had to make his way back. But he said to the Lord, Lord, thou knowest that I love you. Can I tell you, you and I feel that way a lot. Amen. Now, I'm persuaded there's a group of disciples that's standing there, and the Lord said, if you love me, and they're saying, Lord, you know we love you. You know we love you. And the Lord said, keep my commandments. And then there's that look of fear that settles in on the face of those early disciples because the best they can do, they know they come up short. Anybody in this room in that boat? The very best they can do, they don't seem to measure up to the biblical expectation of true Christianity. And they're sitting there, Lord, we know we want to show you we love you, but Father, the best we can do, we, 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 we just come up short when it comes to this matter of keeping your commandments. And it's as though the Lord said, I, I understand. And there's not a transition of thought. There's just a separate verse, verse number 16. Jesus looks at him and he said, he said, so I pray, I will pray the Father. He said, I know you love me and I know you want to keep my commandments, but the flesh is painfully big. And he said, I know it's tough. I know you struggle. I know the fight that is within you. And he said, so I know it's hard. I will pray the Father. And the Father will send you another comforter. He said that he may abide with you forever. So number one in the text, we see that there is a demand that is laid out, an action that is required. Obey my voice. Keep my commandments. Have evidence that you love me. Don't just give me words. Give me deeds. But we also see there's an assistance that's supplied. The Lord never backs down on his instruction. Let me prove it to you. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Wow. Look a little further down. Verse number 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me. My goodness. Verse 23, if a man love me, he'll keep my words three times. But then he throws the negative. He said uh, in verse number 24, he that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. The command is there. The action is required. And we find ourselves painfully struggling to keep that instruction. When if we go back up to verse number 16, he's going to provide us a comforter. There is an assistance supplied. Verse 17 clarifies even the spirit of truth. He's called a comforter in verse 16. Look at verse 26 for clarification. Who is the comforter? He said, it's the Holy Ghost. Amen. We have somebody that's taking up their residence with us to assist us in doing the commandments of God. God has never asked us to paddle our boat by ourselves. He's never asked us to guide our own ship. He's never asked us to go down that pathway alone. But he is a companion that sticketh closer than a brother. He is everywhere at all times, and he's exactly what you and I need. He's exactly what we need. He is an exclusive help. Verse 17. Verse 17 identifies one of the greatest truths of the New Testament. I, I, I wouldn't have time to even scratch the surface on it tonight. But he says in verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The, the world outside of these walls tonight, the unsaved individual does not have the Holy Ghost. I'm personally persuaded the first encounter they'll ever have with the Holy Ghost will be in the act of conviction. Amen. They don't have the Holy Ghost. The Bible said, he said the world cannot receive him because he's with him. But he says to these early disciples, ye know him. Now, the, 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 the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, the third part of the Trinity, had a ministry in the Old Testament as well as the New. But his ministry in the Old Testament was different than his ministry in the New Testament. 
The Old Testament, he, he, he abides in heaven. He would come down, do a work on a man, then he would go back. He was down and up and down and up and down and up. But Jesus says to these disciples who are acquainted with that Holy Ghost, they've seen that ministry of the Holy Ghost in the life of their, uh, while Jesus is on the earth and in their own ministries, they've seen the work of the Holy Ghost. So they know him, but he throwed a new level into that thing. And what he said was, he's going to abide with you. <laughs> what? He's not going to go up. He's going to stay down. It's going to get better than just abiding, though. For he says to him in verse number 17, he said, you know him. For he dwelleth with you. He's around you. He's engaged with you. But get the last phrase of verse 17. He shall be in you. Future tense, he's not yet, but he's coming. When I leave, he'll come. And when he comes, he'll take up his abode in the life of the believer. God, the Holy Ghost, lives within you and I as a saved individual. Hallelujah. There was some fellows several years ago that said it was inappropriate and inaccurate scripturally to say, we ought to ask Jesus into our heart. Hogwash. All that, they obviously should have tore John 14 out of their Bible. Let me just point out a couple of things. I've got to move on. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I, who's he speaking? Jesus. I will come to you. Wow. Look at verse number 20. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me... And I, we're in you. So the Holy Ghost is in you in verse 17. The Father and the Son are in you in verse number 20. And we could keep on coming down the list a little bit further. There's one or two more. He said, uh, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved to my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Look at verse 23. At the end, he said, if any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And notice the pronoun, we, more than one, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Let me tell you something, not that you can get part of God, because if you see the Father, you see all of God. If you see the Son, you see all of God. If you see the Holy Ghost, you see all of God, because he's not three gods, he's one God. He's one God manifested in three personalities, but they are one. They've never thought differently. They've never acted differently. They've never went independent, amen. They are one. But I'm telling you, you don't get just part God. You get all of God. I mean, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Ghost has moved in the heart and life of a believer so that he can be enabled, he can be assisted, he can be helped to keep the commandments of God so that your life can be blessed and God can be honored and Christ can be exalted. It still works in 2020. Still works. Obeys voice because he supplies us with assistance. You can't, but he can. Amen. This Dwayneology, do with it what you will. Why didn't he inherit? Why didn't he not indwell believers in the Old Testament? Because he hadn't purchased the property yet. <laughs> but he did. Amen. <laughs> he moved in. Amen. <laughs> Let me give you a last. We not only see his action, we see his assistance, but we see the approach. Look in verse number 26. He said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Now here's the first step. He said, He shall teach. You all things. Can I say thank God for the teaching of the Holy Ghost? Now, I want to say thank God for the preacher. Thank God for the pastor. Thank God for the ones that labor in the Word and will take the Bible against public opinion and popular opinion at times and say, this is what the Bible said. And this is how God expects us to live and to act and to conduct ourselves and to carry ourselves. I know it goes against the community. I know it goes against our nature. I know it gets, goes against political correctness. But it doesn't change what God said. He teaches us through the man of God. He teaches us through personal looking in the scriptures. Amen. And say amen again. You need that. 
We need to find those truths ourselves. You won't have a steady diet of the Word of God very long until the Holy Ghost will put his finger on a verse and you'll look at it three or four times and you'll say, oh my. Amen. Oh my, I'm supposed to be doing that. Yes, sir, you're supposed to be doing that or you're not supposed to be doing that. Amen. That's exactly right. And then he teaches us, he teaches us through the instruction of others. But I want you to understand that above all of those things, those would fall on deaf ears in the vine, in the mind of flesh if it wasn't for the ministry of the Holy Ghost. And it is the Holy Ghost of God that is within us. And when we look at something, we ought not look at it. The Holy Ghost says, uh-uh. Amen. That's exactly right. Their approach, he teaches us. And then his approach, he reminds us. He will bring all things to your remembrance. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 53. I'm going to be 54 here in a couple months. 54. And so I've been out of school a long time, but I've gone to a lot of school. I mean, and I, I, I did my... My secondary education, I got a college degree, and so I got 16, 17, 18 years, plus when, you know, I was in the workforce, I got, had to go to school for this, school for that, had to be certified in this, certified in that, and so I've, I've, took, I've took a lot of tests. Y'all ever took any tests? And it's an amazing thing, I've had good teachers, and I've had teachers that got you ready for the test, but I've never had a te teacher help me with a test. I've had teachers that let me do open book. I've had open notes, right? I mean, all of those things. But never have I had the teacher sit down at my desk with me when I come down to question number seven and I looked at that question and I didn't know what the answer was. The teachers didn't. Never have I had the teacher say, don't you remember four days ago in the classroom when I was giving the lecture and the answer was, and tell me the answer? Brother Michael, never has happened. I mean, no test that I've ever taken has the teacher ever sat down beside me and helped me in that fashion but that's exactly what the good Holy Ghost does when it comes testing time and you reach that question, you're just really not sure what to do and you don't know how to react and you're not sure you're supposed to behave. The Holy Ghost says, don't you remember? Remember when we was reading the Bible the other day? Don't you remember when the preacher preached the other day? Don't you remember when the Sunday school teacher was teaching the other day? Don't you remember? This is how God expects you to behave, how you're expected to act, how you're expected to conduct yourself. He reminds us. Amen. Amen. Two chapters over, he said he'll guide you. That gives you a sense of direction. Yeah. He'll put you in the right pathway if you let him put you in the right pathway. Amen. I'm just telling you, it sounds difficult. Love the Lord and keep these commandments. Obey his voice. But it's not as difficult as it seems when you consider the indwelling Holy Ghost to God that takes up his residence in us so that we can do the bidding of the Lord. Well, let's go back and find our last thought tonight. It's kind of, I love that one, but I kind of like this last one. Deuteronomy 30, verse number 20. You want to bless life, number one? He said, make sure your affections are right. He said, love the Lord thy God. And he said, if you want to bless life, make sure that your actions are right. Obey his voice. But there's a third statement. Notice the statement. He said that thou mayest cleave unto him oh my that thou mayest cleave unto him we'll use an a word there too that's adoration now cleaves an interesting word and because if you're because you're bible students you know that that word cleaving is the same word that we get the marriage principle out of for this cause the bible said shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. Now there's a mouthful said right there. Amen. He said there's going to have to be a division. You're going to have to leave some things. Amen. Got to make some choices of God. There's a lot of folks that want a good, strong, solid relationship with Christ, but they're not willing to let go of the world. Amen. They want to continue to pursue their fellows in the world. Instead of walking with Christ, I'm going to tell you, they don't agree. They're not heading in the same direction. And ultimately, you'll be forced with a decision. You'll have to choose one or the other. And he says to us, if we want the right relationship with God, number one, we've got to divide from the world. We've got to have a division. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to uh, leave it. He said, leave 
his father. Leave his mother. Amen. Ain't no one of you wives would think very much of your husband if he married you and he was still taking as much time with his old friends as he did his new. Amen. Leave. Leave. And then he said cleave. That word means to become entangled and inseparable. <laughs> we can't tell where one begins and the other ends. Amen. And buddy, if you'd ever get wrapped up in God, I mean, don't just do a Sunday morning, Wednesday night God relationship. Have a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday relationship. Get all weaving together with God so that you can't tell where one started and the other ended. Amen. I mean, will you draw your sustenance from him? Will you can't be separated from him? Cleave unto him. He said the end result, he said there'll be a distinction. You'll have one flesh. Amen. You'll be unique in that you're one flesh. You know what God wants to do? Now listen, this matter of, this matter of cleaving, it will complete us. In the marriage picture, and I won't be long here, but in the marriage picture, in the marriage picture, God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam because something was missing in his life. And as an illustration purpose for you and I, he reached and took a rib out. He took a rib out of that. And from that rib, from that man, he made woman. God brought the woman to the man because there was something missing. He was incomplete. That rib was taken away. And that woman had to be brought to him. And then they were together again and they were one. They were whole again. In like fashion. In like fashion, when God saves a man, the relationship we have with Christ is to complete us. Man, before you got saved, something was missing. Then we ought to live after we got saved like something's been found. Something was absent. Something was missing before we got in. That's what caused us to come to Christ in the first place. But now that we have Christ, let us rejoice because that which was separated has been brought together. That which was missing has been filled in. He is the one that filleth all in all. There's a completion in Christ that the world cannot, has not, never will provide you with. Cleave to him. Then, 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 then not only is the idea of, of cleaving intended to be for our completion, but it is to be for our contention. He wants to content us. You're, you're in Deuteronomy. Turn back. Well, let's see. Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah. I want you to look in chapter 13 just for a minute. Jeremiah chapter 13. <clears throat> Verse number 11, he said, For as the girdle cleaveth, there's our word again, to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord. I like the phrase. There's something to be said about that little term, I caused. <laughs> I caused. I caused. You remember when God cursed Adam and Eve when he cast them forth from the garden? He says to the woman, he said, your desire will be to your husband. Now, in essence, if you study that down and boil it down, what it said is that that's what's going to complete you. You're never going to be satisfied. There won't be the security you need. There won't be the protection you need. There won't be the things that you strain that you're looking for because I made it that way. Your desire is going to be to your husband. When you come to this text, he said, I made it this way. I caused Israel and Judah to cleave unto me. He said, I left it where they could not be content until they were intermingled with me. But don't, don't, don't find that to be negative. The modern feministic movement would say, we don't need a man. God said you need it. Some of us, you know, are not much of a man for the woman to have. But God said you did. And when we come to the Christian life, we don't need to find our satisfaction outside of Christ. We need to find it in Christ. And everybody says, well, that's sort of single-minded. I know it is, but I like it that way. But it's not a negative. It's a positive. 
It's like 2 Corinthians 6:17. You know that, that great separation verse. He said, He said, Wherefore come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And everybody said, Oh, there he goes again preaching about that. But nobody ever quotes the rest of the verse. The last part of that same verse said, I will receive you. He didn't say, I will save you. It's not a salvation verse. It's a relationship verse. He said, we'll have fellowship together. What's so bad about that? Sounds pretty good if you ask me. Amen. So let's look at this verse. I'm still here in Jeremiah 13, 11. So he said, I made them to cleave to me. I left them where they couldn't be satisfied without me. Hallelujah. But is that all bad? I don't think so because notice what he did in their part. He said that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory. Now there's a warning. He said they would not hear. But he said I had something up. I had something in store for them that was wonderful. The idea of being a people is an association. He would be their God. The idea of a name is identification. Man, they could walk wherever they chose and they could say we are the children of Jehovah. Praise is a manifestation. We will bless him and he will, do, he will bless us so that we can praise him. And then he said he would be for a glory. That's glorification. That's a finished product. He's wanting to do something far greater than we could ever imagine. He said, I've caused you not to be content until you cleave unto me. Don't run from it, but embrace it. It'll make all the difference in the world. Lastly, this idea of cleaving is companionship. Amen. He'll be a friend that stands closer than a brother, faithful to the end with future plans. Amen. For he said he'd never leave us and he'd never forsake us. He said it's blessing and cursing, life and death. The choice you make will affect heaven and earth. It'll affect you and the generations that come after you. But you want to bless life? Three steps. Love the Lord thy God. Make sure your affections are right. Amen. Obeys voice. Make sure your actions are right. And cleave unto him. Make sure your adoration's right. Don't be satisfied with nothing less than Jesus. For nothing less is ever going to do. Let's bow for prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for time in your word tonight. Thank you for letting us come by Elk Point and be with Brother Haley. and.